we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. The perfect campaign is the perfect music. That's why premium beat tracks are produced by award-winning musicians at world-class studios. Plus, our license gives you tracks for a lifetime. Pay once and never again. Save 25% on your next track at premiumbeat.com slash royalty dash free slash podcast. I've told this story before. Um, and somehow, um, I mean, it's not intentional, but you, you sometimes drop information, leave things out. Um, anyway, that's, I remember, I don't think I've included this, but I'll tell it again. This is who killed Teresa. Um, so after we learned that Teresa had died, we had to go to the coroner's office on Parthenay Street, uh, to the headquarters of the Certe de Quebec to identify the body. So I remember the whole family went, my brother, me, my mother, and dad, and were there in the the Bureau Medical section, which was, I, I can't remember, it was on the second floor. It might be in the basement. Just remember a lot of, like, hospital green. And my dad, uh, alone, walks down this corridor, you know, through the doors, and, you know, maybe five to ten minutes later, he comes back out. And I've always said he he entered those doors one man, and when he came back, he's a completely different man. But what I think I've dropped is when he comes out, the first thing he says is he turns to my mother and he says, Teresa had a scar above her right eyebrow, right? The implication being... That's he couldn't identify her. That's the only marking that was familiar to him, and he couldn't quite remember anything more about it. For today. Uh, I, I've scripted this because it's kind of a convoluted story and I don't want to drop it. I really want the, the dates and the locations to be really, really specific because it's, it's a little confusing. Um, the, the first mystery is how do you pronounce it? L-O-N-G-U-E-U-I-L. Now, I've heard many Anglos call it Longel, but it's actually pronounced Longay. Longay is part of what's known as the South Shore. 
in Montreal, though kind of when I look at it a map, it it feels east to me. You taking either the Champlain or the Jacques Cartier Bridge, you cross off the island of Montreal, across the St. Lawrence River, and now, you know, you're you're in Longueuil. And then traveling further, sorry, it's east. You're in the eastern townships in Sherbrooke and uh, Teresa Laura Louise Cameron and Bay country. But before getting there, you cross Chambly, Nicole Manas, or um, Helen Manas country, and to the south, uh, uh, Saint Jean, so Richelieu. Which is uh, Denis Bazinet country. Anyway, there you go. You're you're oriented. And you know, Longay's reputation has always been kind of shady and industrial. Um, although I, I don't. That's just reputation. I've only been there once myself, and that was to go to um, Four Six Eight Boulevard Roland Terrien which is the site of uh, Section Rouge Media and the archives of Allo Police. Uh, Langay is where Sharon Pryor was found, beaten, suffocated, and raped on April 1st, 1975, in a field at Chemin du Lac and uh, Guimont Boulevard by the beekeeper uh, Jacques Bertrand. It's where exactly two years and a day later, the identified body of a woman was found again on Chemin du Lac on April 2nd, 1977, wrapped in a green and white blanket. Uh, Decades later, she would be identified as a woman named Joanne Lemieux. Longay is where on May 2nd, 1975, the bodies of Diane Deary and Mario Corbet were discovered in a field near the Saint-Hubert Airport, both shot by a 22 caliber pistol, almost certainly by a member of the Canadian military stationed at CFB Saint-Hubert. And Longay is where Stéphane Luce's mother, Roxanne Luce, was found beaten to death uh, in her bed in her apartment on April 2nd, 1981. In terms of uh, investigations, Longay is the last stop on the criminal justice train for many. I've long railed against the failures and incompetences of the Sarté de Québec but uh, apparently compared to the Longay police, um, I've been receiving Cadillac services. People actually lobby the Quebec Ministry of Public Security to have their Longay cases taken up by the Sûreté de Québec. The families of, uh, of Sharon Pryor did it. Um, and as late as Friday, uh, my friend and associate, Stéphane Luce, was still doing it because he... Um, he texted me from Montreal. I, I had a question for him or something, and then he texted me back and he said, uh, guess where I am? Uh, the SQ on Parthenay. And so I said, really? Is it about your mother? He goes, yeah. And I said, um, are they going to take up the cold case? He texts me. He says, I don't know. I just showed up 
unannounced, to which I, I replied, Steph, you got balls. Now, apparently he was there to see uh, Marc Lapin. Um, Marc never showed up, or he wasn't there that day. But anyway, Marc isn't in charge of the Cold Case Bureau anymore. I think I think it's a guy named Bolduc, but I'm not I'm not sure. Now recall that there was one family who was successful in such lobbying endeavors, and that's the the Dreary family who in 1979 managed to convince Quebec justice that the Langay police were a lost cause. And the Dury-Corbet investigation is now one of over 600 cold cases in the portfolio of the Sarté de Québec. The... Um, Practices of the uh, Longay police, of um, uh, the Longay justice system, are, for me, a true mystery. I'll just read you something um, from the Montreal Gazette. Uh, from This is from December 16th. I believe it's 2014. Um, and um, this is just an, an excerpt. Um Seven brothers from the South Shore family were charged on Wednesday with sexually assaulting four women, some of whom were minors as long as 50 years ago. The acts allegedly took place in Longay between 1957 and 1976, and the men were arrested on Tuesday. All seven men, who now range in the ages of from 59 to 71 years old, face sexual assault charges stemming from when they were minors. Those charges, which deal with acts of allegedly committed uh, between 1957 and 73, will be handed in a youth court. Um, now, that, that, that case, for, for many of us who are insiders on matters of unsolved murders in the Montreal area, um, you know, when, when that news came out, that spread like wildfire uh, among us. All of us were wondering what it meant. Um, were there other implications? Um, certainly how seven brothers can pass by unnoticed in a community for, for 50 years raises questions. Certainly, given the ages of the individuals at, at the time of the crimes, it's a little weird, isn't it? The time they were minors, but now they're like they're like old men, so nobody can discuss it or say anything about it. But nevertheless, most people know um, wh- who this family is. It, it, there there can only be so many families with that number of brothers. Um, in the '60s and '70s, there was a family of brothers that were were quite famous. In fact, I think they manned a baseball team all with their brothers and kind of traveled around the province.
So we're, we're pretty sure we know who we're talking about. But nevertheless, um, you know, the, the story went blank. I think this is the last mention, 2014-15, uh, of this matter. Either we're still waiting for the process to begin, or it was dealt with quietly off camera, or the defense ran the clock on the matter and everything got uh, dismissed, and we may never know. That's long gay. And um, if such a casual attitude and indifference seems like the normal for Quebecers, and, and I, I can assure you that no one has bothered to lift a finger and question, hey, do you, whatever happened with those brothers? It's just, it's just assumed that you'll forget about it and move on. But here, um, notice the reaction from an outsider when they came up against the Longay justice system. And here I'm, I'm referring to the October 21st, 2014 murder of Janique Delcourt, uh, beaten to death with a blunt, blunt instrument on a bike path in uh, Vieux Longay. And this is the reaction from her grieving father, Jean Gandolfo, who, who lives in New York. I I heard on the news the suspect was a 26-year-old. I get more news um, from the newspapers than I do authorities. As parents, you want answers. And um, from everything that I understand about Mr. Ga- Gandolfo, he, um, you know, naturally when his daughter was found murdered, he arrived feeling like a stranger in a strange land in Quebec, but... Um, probably most particularly in Longay, and I I think eventually left feeling what the hell went on there? Who the hell are these these people to which I say, well, welcome to the club, Mr. Gandolfo. You might not have wanted to join it, but we're we're glad to have you here anyway. Like a lot of homicides in Longay, uh, Janique Delcourt's remains unsolved. In fact, I'm having a hard time remembering the last time that they cleared a stranger homicide. And maybe the following case is one, um, but then in the case that I'm going to talk about here, uh, the offender came right into the police headquarters and confessed to the crime. This is about Miriam Valois. 34-year-old Miriam Valois vanished in January 1992. She lived with her parents. She liked to go clubbing with her friends along the bars of the Main in Montreal's East End. The newspaper La Presse reported that Miriam had a, quote, mental handicap. The morning of January 23rd, a man was walking his dog uh, in a field behind 2399 de la Provence in an industrial section of Longueuil when he made this grim discovery. Miriam was found clothed, wearing blue jeans, a pink vest, and a black ski jacket. Later, a citizen found a sports backpack uh, containing Miriam's belongings near Guirmont. Valois was beaten several, severely with a blunt instrument, then crawled about a hundred feet. 
Langue detective Serge Fontaine suspected several suspects and the use of a vehicle. One year later, one suspect walked into the Lange police headquarters and made the following stunning revelation. I can't live with myself anymore with this. I don't sleep anymore. I want to see a detective about the crime of the girl in the industrial park. 25-year-old Sebastian uh, Rochette then met with Detective Serge Fontaine and gave his full confession. He said that he knew Miriam. They both suffered from mental handicaps. He had met her several times at the Midway Bar on Boulevard Saint-Laurent and on the Main in Montreal. On January 17, 1992, they went to a motel together on Rue Saint-Hubert to have sex. Valois drank alcohol. Rochette consumed cocaine. The adventure went on for two days. Finally, he drove her back to Montreal. But before getting on the Jacques Cartier Bridge, he made a turn on 2399 de la Provence. Once there, he beat her with a hammer, several times to the head. Valois crawled about 40 meters before succumbing to her injuries. In the snow, the police found the tire markings of a 1984 Toyota Camry, the same make of vehicle driven by Rochette. Sebastian Rochette was charged with first-degree murder. So, a lot of questions in this, I'm sure, for anyone, but for now, um, they'll need to remain unanswered. My, my point here is just saying that sometimes these matters are connected, and sometimes they are these self-contained episodes. And that brings us to the main point of discussion today, and that's the case of uh, Nathalie Boucher. So we're going to jump back a decade and examine this 1985 uh, Longay murder. Um, and this is another one of these cases lost to time. Um, you would uh, need to dig pretty hard in order to find any information on Boucher. <clears throat> and this is, this is what I know. Eighteen-year-old Natalie Boucher was described as the model student and an exemplary young woman. She attended the Cégept Edouard Montpetit in Langueil and lived with her mother in an apartment complex at 385 Place de la Louisanne, near Route 132, Boulevard Saint-Charles, and the Tachereau Interchange. On the evening of Tuesday, June 4th, 
Natalie planned to meet two friends at the club discotheque La Moustache, which was then located on Rue Closse in the Atwater region of Montreal. Natalie promised her mom she would be home by 1 a.m. Getting home would require a metro and bus ride, the metro from the Atwater station to the Longueuil terminus, and then a bus from the terminus to the stop along the interchange. From there, it was less than a thousand feet walk across the viaduct to her apartment complex. On the morning of June 5th, 1985, Natalie's body was discovered in the bushes near Rue Saint-Charles and Tachereau, 800 feet from her home. From her fourth-floor apartment window, Natalie's mother could watch the police process her crime scene. Natalie had been beaten, brutally, raped, and strangled to death. Even worse, the coroner determined that Natalie was probably kept alive intentionally for two to three hours so the offender could slowly mete out his punishment. Beating and kicking her, investigators believe the force and determination of the offender must have been astounding, measured, and cruel. Now, in this era, and I think I've demonstrated this, there, there could have been any number of offenders responsible for these kind of horrible acts. And I'll just give you one, exactly, uh, one example. Exactly one year later, two young women were attacked in the parking garage at that Longay terminus. And the press at the time wondered if uh, there might be this connection to Boucher. And in these particular instances, the man managed to get away, but the dumbass left his jacket behind containing all his identification. And uh, very quickly, uh, Michel Larocque, 25-year-old Michel Larocque, was charged and uh, hopefully sentenced, um, but apparently there, there was never any connection to Boucher, as Boucher's case remains un, unsolved. So I possess a small case file on the Boucher investigation. I, I just have never, like others, written about it um, because it didn't appear to me to be connected to any, any of the cases I um, had interest in. But in all that we've talked about since January, there, there is this one case that reminds me of Boucher. Um, and what appears to connect them is, number one, the level of violence, and number two, a specific geographic location. Recall that two years later, in August 1987, 
16-year-old Sophie Landry was last seen at the Longay bus terminus. And her body would be found stabbed 172 times in a field north of Montreal in Saint-Roche-de-Lachigan. Guy Cruteau eventually was arrested for the murder of Landry and is serving a life sentence. Now, in 2002, the Sarté de Québec released several photos of Cruteau. They released this composite of 10 photos, and they asked the public to come forward if they felt they had information that could tie Cruteau to other sexual assaults and murders. And, and one person did one that we know of. In 2004, in this article in the Gazette by James Many, a woman who identified herself as Jeanette came forward with the following uh, account of an assault from 1977. I was coming back from the Longay metro station to where I live, she said. I decided to walk rather than take the bus. And it was about a 15-minute walk. It was also a walk that took her from the subway across an overpass that spans Tashiro Boulevard. And as she paced across the bridge in the twilight, Jeanette looked back and noticed what appeared to be the figure of a man standing by a blue glass building. She resumed walking and was about three quarters across the overpass when she sensed a very light touch, like a draft. She whipped around, and this guy had his hand right up the back of her skirt. And she says, I, I was just, I was enraged to see him. I started showering abuse on him and, and then bashing him. I had this really good, heavy purse, and, and I just swung it at his head. After I yelled at him, the strangest thing is that he looked at me as if he was going to cry. He turned around and began to run, and I began to chase him. She, she chased him. She says, I don't know. I, I was just so mad. Note that, like Landre and Boucher, Jeanette was using the Longay Metro, and both would have had to cross the... the be in the Longay Terminus, the main station. And also note, like Boucher, Jeanette had to cross Boulevard Tashro. So, in 1977, is it, is it possible that Guy Cruteau attempted to assault Jeanette at the same location where Nathalie Boucher would be murdered almost 10 years later in 1985? Um, and in considering all this, Cruteau would have been about 21 years old at the time, maybe a, maybe a serial killer in, in the, the making. And Jeanette at the time seemed to think that, yes, it was the same guy. And this is again back to the Gazette article. Jeanette put the incident behind her for eight years, even though she'd shake when she talked about it until an 18-year-old girl was found raped and killed in a ditch that runs parallel to the overpass. Natalie Boucher's body was found less than 300 meters from her Longay home. As of yesterday, her killing remains unsolved. And this is Jeanette. I always felt it was the same guy who did it, Jeanette says, that he decided to get it right this time.
for me, um, th- this is the most extraordinary part about all of this. In 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 researching this post, I got really excited because this is, as I say, there's there's not a lot on this case, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. No one no one knows about this. This is all brand new. But when I looked closer, I found that someone had already reported all of this. And it was me. In a 2004 blog post, I wrote about all of it. Landry, Cruteau, Natalie Boucher, Jeanette, I wrote about it. And then, along with everyone else, I forgot about it. And 10 years later, by, by the time I found that case file on Boucher at Allo Police in, in 2014, I'd forgotten everything I'd done. And I, um, with all of this, I'll, I'll post on my website um, the original blog post that, that I wrote. It's not surprising nobody um, um, found it. Quite frankly, that I had only had the blog for two, maybe one or two years, and back then, um, you know, there was a there was a a sarcasm and irony to my style of writing that was just downright confusing and not very very helpful at all. It certainly it would be a mystery to anybody um, who who was French reading it, trying to figure out what the hell I was talking about. Because there was all this, um, well, you'll just see. I mean, it was, it was only later that I realized, n- number one, that I had, I had nothing to be sarcastic or ironic about that, this, that um, when you compound this many cases, the, the work becomes deadly serious. So it, becomes a question of just delivering the facts and letting letting them speak for themselves. This also helps if you're translating or if you're trying to read something. You, you, do, you do not need language that confuses things. You need really simple facts so, so that everyone can truly understand what, what's going on. So I think that's part of why, <laughs> you know, it got forgotten because it's like if you read it, you go, what the hell are you talking? You know, there's a there's a germ of wisdom in here, Mr. Allure, but I can't understand the point you're trying to make. So 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 that explains that. So uh, extraordinary, you know, so so maybe maybe Guy Couteau murdered uh, Natalie Boucher and maybe we should look at that again. Maybe the police did look at it, but. Uh, they didn't have the evidence, uh, right? If if they tossed the physical evidence with Boucher, then they would never be able to catch Cruteau, which I think is one of the reasons why Cruteau has only been um, has only been charged in the Landry murder. Although everyone believes he he had a, a longevity. Uh, come on, if you stab somebody 173 times, I think you've killed before. Just a, just a hunch. Um, and don't forget, um, it's plausible that the Boucher evidence was destroyed, anything with DNA. I mean, we know this, to, that, that is one of the number one um, arguments of Stefan Luce, is that all of his mother's physical evidence was destroyed. Longay admitted that. 
it's the same in the case of the prior family. Um, all of Sharon's information was tossed. Yvonne Pryor has a letter from the um, Longue police, which I have seen, admitting admitting this, that it was all thrown away. Although, don't get ahead of yourself. I mean, if you're the offender and you think, well, I'm never going to get thought, caught, never say never. Because do remember, in the, in the case of Pryor, what they thought was lost was found again. They some point after the letter was written, the police came forward and said to Sharon's mom, do you recognize this winter jacket? And she said, of course I do. It's Sharon's, you bupkis. So mistakes can happen. And, and, and if somebody out there is thinking they got away with murder because of this track record of destroying evidence, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't bet on that. Things case evidence can be can be found definitely um so I, there there's another possibility that I'm going to offer with the murder of Boucher and I, and I'm going to put this up here um because as I've said before we're late in the game in these matters and at this point everything should be should be attempted um, and with this episode, I'd urge you to visit the website because I'll put a lot of photographs up. But I'm going to put up four photographs from the case file. Um, in that file, um, which came from, would have come from either an Alo police photographer or or a, an actual police uh, photographer, which I think back in that era were one and the same thing. But anyway... There are these photos in the file of this man who's not identified. Uh, and he doesn't appear to be uh, law enforcement. He's too casually dressed. And the the photos appear like the photographer was surveilling him. And so I'm going to put these up there. And if if anyone can identify this man, perhaps, perhaps he is the murderer of Natalie Boucher, but they just never had the proof. If someone, but maybe maybe he offended it in the past and he offended again. So if anybody identifies this man, I would ask them to contact me um, or, or the police. And if you don't like those options, you can you can contact uh, Senator uh, Boisvenu. Uh, he would certainly help you in in those affairs. I'm going to close and round back with where we began. Uh, so when we were kids, we lived in the suburbs and, um, you know, summers were all about barbecuing and gardening and things like that. I remember, I remember because the suburbs was new, we had to do quite a bit of landscaping. My father did. Uh, I remember one time creating like a vegetable garden and I like I picked up a rock that was too heavy and, and suffered it, um, like a, a double hernia and immediately had to be hospitalized, I think, in the children's hospital. Um, and on one of these summer endeavors where my dad was, um, uh, you know, digging in the in the garden, 
you know, I want to say it was 72. I remember in 72 being outside a lot because that's when the um, the Canada-Russia hockey series was. It happened in uniquely not in the winter, in the summer. And we all had our televisions outside, you know, in the backyard and, and we're watching that thing. I, but I don't think it was 72 because in 72, Teresa would have been, been about 13 or 14. And this happened before that. Teresa had a scar on her right brow because uh, by accident, my dad swung a shovel backwards and accidentally hit her in the head as she was standing too close behind him. That's what happened. He just forgot all about it. This has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. Please give us a plug on social media, on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your listening platform is. You can follow us on Twitter at JusticeGuy, at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y, or at the podcast Twitter handle proper at TeresaLore.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. Um, our website is TeresaLore.com. That's it, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E.com. And you can follow along on Facebook at Teresa Lore, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is John Allure, and have yourselves a great great afternoon Your side.
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True Crime on A&E, with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking True Crime, every Thursday and Friday on A&E.